1: Welcome to the heart of innovation, 60 minutes that can save life and limb with new breakthrough ideas and innovation, changing the healthcare landscape brought to you by patient advocacy group, the way to in partnership with Abbott. Here are your hosts for the heart of innovation, Emmy award-winning journalist and founder of the way to my heart, Kim McNicholas and Interventional Cardiologist and Founder of the Save My Piggies Health Education Series, Dr. John Phillips.
2: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. We are live in El Paso, Texas at the Cliff Conference, and Dr. John Phillips is off on assignment saving those piggies somewhere in the world. I think right now he might be on a mission to Guatemala, so he couldn't get any sort of service. So we are going to have him join us again next week. Meantime, I am joined by Lori Henderson with the Cliff Conference. And we are live again in El Paso, Texas. I just got off stage. I had the amazing opportunity to present at this conference and share the patient's experience and the importance of advocacy to our audience of, what, about 150 people. So it was really exciting. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about this conference and why it's so important
3: to saving life and limb? Sure, absolutely. Um, We've founded this organization uh, about a year and a half ago and found that um, there was a huge need for education and for uh, just expanding the knowledge base of peripheral artery disease, critical limb ischemia, and really finding the right physicians and the right teams to help these patients to save limbs and save lives. And so this is our um, initial attempt. Uh, this is our second annual conference. Um, we are reaching out to the entire Southwest region and just educating physicians, nurses, uh, anyone who who is in the community, in the medical uh, community, to come and be part of the team. Um, This conference is multidisciplinary. We have interventional physicians, cardiologists, vascular surgeons. We have podiatrists. Um, We have patient advocates such as Kim, and we're so honored to have her be part of our faculty this year. This year, we we were honored to have Dr. Jihad Mustafa, Dr. Jay Matthews, uh, Dr. David Alper and Dr. John Bonilla come in as well as um, Dr. Uh, Sarah um, uh, Rose from uh, Mass General. Just an incredible uh, group of physicians who came in to share with us and join our incredible faculty. We have amazing, very talented, passionate physicians in El Paso who have committed their careers to saving limbs and saving lives. And so their mission and our mission as an organization, um, the limb Saver society is to, uh, to educate, to help patients, to, to create advocacy. And so we're really um, learning a lot from Kim and want to join in her, in her mission as well. And um, I think we just need more organizations like this. The more we educate, the more we can help patients learn about um, what we need to do to get them uh the healing and get them back to their quality of life.
2: Something that I think is really important for patients to hear, you and I had lunch yesterday prior to this event, and you just poured out your heart about why you start why your team started this and the reality of here are patients there are four hospitals in this area and while one hospital on one side of town is saving limbs and has this amazing shared decision making experience amongst limb savers and people dedicated to exhausting all efforts to saving life and limb and then across town patients who either choose not to travel across town you know, which is literally less than an hour across all the way across El Paso. But or those patients just don't know that there's limb saving options across town. These patients are getting amputated, whereas across town, there might be a limb salvage program, which there is, that could give them
3: the best chance of staying on two feet. Absolutely. We have been honored to to have and, and create over the last eight years one of the country's only JACO certified uh, peripheral vascular uh, center of excellence here in El Paso at the Hospitals of Providence Memorial Campus. And unfortunately, across town, there are multiple hospitals that, you know, don't even do the minimal to even try to revascularize a patient or to treat these patients to to try to see if there's anything that can be done other than primary amputation. And so there's a lot of work still to be done. However, in the last eight years, I think what we've done at this hospital and in the community has reached the entire community. As a whole, the community knows to send their patients to this hospital primarily for, you know, with this patient population, but you have patients who will present to other hospitals. And so there's a lot of work to do to try and get these protocols and these policies and, and get this, this type of treatment um, to be uh, equal in all hospitals, because it shouldn't be that amputation lottery that we have uh, still in many hospitals across the country. I think there's a lot of work to do.
2: And so far, I mean, you have all of these physicians and clinicians from across the area, whether they're in podiatry or whether they're in in vascular or even in pain management, we're going to get to, you know, Dr. Rivera, Efren Rivera, in just a moment, he's sitting alongside me and we're going to talk about chronic pain when it comes to vascular and and beyond. You have all of these different um, doctors and clinicians here. Have you heard anything thus far? We're now halfway through the conference where people have had any sort of aha moment, any sort of moments of inspiration or impact thus
3: far in the morning? Um, I I think, honestly, the the most um, amazing, every every presentation um, has incredible um, information in it, and um, it was really impactful to hear Dr. Mustafa share what he's uh, been through and how he got to where he was starting 15 years ago, and so he's been an inspiration mentor to us, so that was uh, an incredible um, presentation, and just what he said about the second opinion, these patients have to know that it's okay to get a second opinion and it's necessary for patients to be able to be their own advocates and for us as clinicians to be able to help patients through that process. Um, I think there's a long way to go with physicians as a whole to understand this process and and Understand that this is about the patient mm-hmm. and what the patient needs, and and that we need to leave our specialty at the door, as Dr. Mustafa says, um, and just take care of the patient.
2: One of your speakers that he, that's here is Dr. David Alper, and he's a retired podiatrist, but on every single board, I think of directors uh, across the industry, including the American Diabetes Association on their board of advisors, and the American Podiatric Medical Association, et cetera, et cetera. But speaking here today, one of the things that he said and he wants patients to understand is that. A second opinion is so important. And he said, if a doctor is not okay with you getting a second opinion, they're hiding something. There's something about them that you have to run because most doctors, and especially the advanced skilled doctors and the ones that are confident and have conviction in their care and their offerings will say, you know what? You need to do what's best for you. I recognize different doctors have different approaches, different tools, and different techniques and different philosophies. And so go ahead. Get a second opinion. And you know what? Bring that information back to me. Maybe I'll learn something as well.
3: Right. Right. And again, it's about the patient. And so I think as we as as we not only teach patients to To seek these second opinions or to seek what they need for their care, we need to we need to teach them also to be advocates for themselves, because I find that patients will take an opinion will take a word um, as as basically law and they will just go away or they I mean, sometimes they won't even go uh, follow up with their appointments. As you said, you, you had a patient that you had to. Basically walk into the office and get the appointment for them. So it's really important to teach them about being self-advocates and and having their families be involved in um, getting the care that they need as well. So important, mm-hmm. and if they
2: want to find out more, or people want to participate in maybe next year's conference or any other events throughout the year. Is there a website or anywhere they can go to find more information? There is. And we have a, a website:
4: it's cliffconference.com. Because you are listening to the Heart of Innovation with Kim and Nichols live from the Cliff Conference in El Paso, Texas. We will return after these messages. Don't go anywhere. Oh.
1: Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips.
2: Hi, everyone, and welcome back. Show. We are live in El Paso, Texas, at a limb salvage conference featuring all kinds of doctors from podiatrists to vascular specialists to pain management specialists as well. Pain management is such a popular topic in all of our network because pain is a reality when it comes with chronic illness and the toughest part of the chronic illness, which can lead to anxiety and so much depression, because pain can really, really weigh on you. You don't get enough sleep at night and then, you know, your exhaustion just magnifies it so much. So we're going to get into the pain. We have Dr. Gary Grindstaff. He is a podiatrist. He's also here at the conference. And we have Dr. Efren Rivera, who is a pain management specialist, and I'm sure he's going to be quite popular during this entire broadcast. We'll probably have a few questions that might come in from our live studio audience um, from around the world but i want to get started you know here i think you know before a patient ends up on your lap in pain management when it comes to especially vascular they end up frontline the person has a wound possibly or they have pain in their foot they're sent from the primary care to a podiatrist correct
6: that's correct we see these people on a daily basis they present the most common Uh, Presenting complaint Is pain It's not That even necessarily That they they have a wound Or that they have tissue That's about to ulcerate I've had people come in With a gangrenous toe And uh, Oh Why are you here? And they say well my foot hurts They don't even tell you that, they, that their that no. their toe is turning black. No, and and so we see them very frequently. First, we see them oftentimes that have back problems, uh, that is, they're getting pain in their foot, and they think it's their foot that's the problem. Right, uh, and, and as we mentioned here at the conference many times about their venous stasis. Their uh, ulcers or, or pain can be from vascular problems. Right. And so we, we end up seeing them first. And, and as we move through the process, Dr. Rivera gets involved in treating these people's chronic pain.
2: Yeah. You know, you brought up a really good point when it comes to the back issues. And and I learned from with my dad, we went to the podiatrist and he was feeling some numbness in his in his toes. And the doctor had a chart up on his wall of the leg and the foot. And you could actually see which nerves actually led to foot pain. I thought that was fascinating. I wish that every single patient had a chance to look at that and be able to um, help them understand what's vascular versus what might be stemming from a spinal problem or sciatica.
6: Well, one of the biggest failures of medicine is people that come in with pain or complaints such as this, and oftentimes they're seen and no one even takes their shoe off.
2: Oh, yes. And that's where you mentioned that, you know, they don't tell you that they have a gangrenous toe. They're saying their foot hurts and no one ever says, hey, take off your socks.
6: I mean, I'll never forget when I was a resident. I remember uh, having a gentleman come in at L.A. County Hospital and and he had had gangrenous toes for months and I asked him, I said, well, didn't you think something was wrong? And, and what made you come in now? And he said, well, my wife made me come in. And she said it was smelling.
2: Oh, no, we're talking about wet gangrene at that point. I, there, I had a friend of mine that was in a case and in Utrecht in the Netherlands. And the patient came in with a black bag, literally rubber banded and tied on to her leg. And it was like, how do you wait until it gets to that point. And the patient said, well, you know, I have this bag on because my leg smells. Well, at that point, you're guaranteeing amputation. Why didn't you get in sooner? How is it that some of these patients do end up waiting?
6: Well, in the diabetic patient's case, frequently they have no pain.
2: Right. Because of the,
6: because of the neuropathy in their leg and foot, they have no pain. And the way they think of things, and pain is is our friend, actually. I mean, because it warns us that something is wrong. And when there is no warning, people can have horrible things going on. Yeah. And if it doesn't hurt, they think they're okay. And, uh, I mean, this is a daily experience that we see here at El Paso, is people with severe neuropathy. I had a patient who... During the hot summer here uh, on one of these flat roofs with tar paper on it, he had a swamp cooler that didn't work. And he decided he needed to go up and fix it. Walked up there without his shoes on okay. and just socks and second degree burns on both of his feet. Wound, it, you know, wound up losing a leg because of his neuropathy. And he didn't even know that something was wrong. And you know it's it's a it's a very sad story,
2: and it, it just it brings us to the importance of making sure that patients, if they have any sort of diabetes, type one or type two, starting at age forty, making sure that you go in and you say, "Hey, doctor, check my feet, check my pulses. I can't feel." recognize that you have the neuropathy and make sure that you have someone else that is checking your feet on a daily basis and making sure they're checking the pulses.
6: This is vitally important.
2: And so do you find that, you know, a lot of these patients, they end up coming in late. And so they're a toe stub away from amputation. And by the time they end up with a wound, especially the tissue's already dying, the nerve damage is already there. And so while a doctor might be able to open up some of the vessels, it doesn't get rid of all the pain.
6: That's very common. They, by the time they have serious wounds, usually they could have infections that are, have proceeded into the bone, uh, and they could need surgeries and and even minor amputations. But those, all these things, even when we do, say we amputate a little toe, Mm -hmm. it changes how you walk. It changes the pressure on on things, and now you start developing problems elsewhere. And I think this with neuropathy, one of the big things that people don't realize is that not only does the skin lose sensation, mm-hmm. but the little tiny muscles in the foot are paralyzed because there's no innervation to them, and you start to develop deformity of the foot, and then the deformity leads to pressure which then leads to skin compromise and ultimately ulceration, which then can become infected. And then we get into the hospitalization and all the problems that we see on a daily basis.
2: Thank you so much, Doctor. We really appreciate your perspective on that. And of course, we're gonna get into more of what you can do for pain relief in these situations in in just a moment with Dr. Uh, Efren Rivera.
4: You're listening to the Heart of Innovation with Kim McNichols live from the Cliff Conference in El Paso, Texas. We will return after these messages.
2: Life and
1: limb could depend on it. Welcome back to the Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips.
2: Everyone, welcome back to the show. Again, we are live at the Cliff Conference, a limb salvage conference in El Paso, Texas. Dr. John Phillips is on assignment on a mission in Guatemala, possibly saving more piggies around the world. Meantime, I am joined here by Dr. Gary Grindstaff, and he's a podiatrist. And we have Dr. Afrin Rivera, who is a pain specialist. Prior to the break, we had been talking to Dr. Grindstaff about, um, you know, just the problems with diabetic neuropathy, overall neuropathy, and the fact that we can have this domino effect, right, with with the patients who end up having ultimately an amputation or some sort of change in their in their feet or their toes, and they end up moving off balance, and then in comes right the referral. To the pain specialist. And then what do you do at this point, Dr. Rivera?
8: Well, the first thing you have to do is actually get a whole history about the patient's uh, medical problems. And I usually spend about an hour, believe it or not, getting all the information, cardiovascular, pulmonary, diabetes, high blood pressure, everything that I can get from the patient in terms of their history. And then after we do that, we say, okay, where are you having pain? And then they tell me where they're having pain. And then let's say, for instance, Dr. Greenstaff, he saw the patient, he amputated the foot or he amputated several toes. Then the patient comes in because he's saying, oh, I'm having back pain. Okay, so that's a clue because I know that, like a uh, doctor mentioned, when you have some of your toes are missing, you're, gonna, you're not gonna walk like a normal person. You're gonna either walk with a cane, you're gonna walk a little crooked, you're gonna walk with a limp, and then your pelvis is going to be off kilter. Then you may wind up having pain in your knee, pain in your S side joints, or pain in your lower back. Do you or ever pain find it like hip. this
2: domino effect, right? It like right? Right. just, it seems like once you have one thing, it's just this cascade of one thing after another after another.
8: And the thing is that that is correct. So what happens is uh, these people already are older people, so they've already generated some degenerative disease throughout their joints. And so they're more prone to having pain in those joints if they're not walking like a normal person. And they're not going to be walking like a normal person after they had their toes cut off. So then they come to me for pain. And so I have to evaluate them really good, get the history and physical. And then we sit down and we talk about, okay, what surgeries have you had? And uh, back surgery any kind of other spine surgery. Oh, you had foot surgery. Oh, okay. Let me take a look at your foot. Okay. And I do the entire physical exam like any other pain physician would do uh, from head to toe. And so we find out, okay, well, you're walking crooked because the doctor amputated your foot. Okay. And so now let's see where you're having pain. Are you having pain in your SI joints? Are you having pain in your lumbar spine, your cervical spine, your hip or your knee? And so I examine all these joints and then they'll tell me where they're having pain. And then we can make a plan as to what medications I can give them and what injections I can give them and whether I can do radiofrequency to certain parts of the joints to help them get longer pain relief.
2: It's interesting because we have, that's one of the top complaints from patients who have peripheral artery disease, which is those blocked arteries and, and mainly the legs is that they can no longer get access to, to a lot of pain medications. Gabapentin doesn't cut through some of this pain. Tylenol doesn't cut through most of the pain. And so they just have no other options. But you're saying that if they get a referral to a pain specialist like you, that you might have additional options for them.
8: Well, we we do have additional options. I mean, uh, uh, we have more higher potency, longer acting, uh, narcotics. Well, they're narcotics. They're opioids. And they can help the patient uh, in the long run. The thing is, they always ask me, doctor, am I going to get uh, addicted with this medication? Well, all the medications I prescribe are addictive. The answer is, I don't know. Do you have an addictive personality? If you do, then you'll probably get addicted to them. But if you don't, then you probably won't. But we don't know until we give you medication and see how you react with the medication. So we have stronger medication than, say, Tylenol number three, Tylenol number four, which is usually prescribed by some of the surgeons. Uh, and then when they come to me, they say, you know, doctor, that really wasn't working. It gave me relief for one or two hours. Okay, not a problem. We'll give you, we'll start off with some hydrocodone or oxycodone. And usually that takes care of it. And if that doesn't take care of it and i are a lot of pain, There are other things we can prescribe.
2: Right, but those are really temporary because ultimately those are just something to get you through, right? They're not supposed to be a long-term solution. They're supposed to be a step towards getting you to therapy, getting you what you need in order to mitigate the source of that pain.
8: Okay, that is the answer to that is yes and no. Okay. Because yes, it can help you with the acute problem of pain. But it, it will not help you with the chronic problem that you may have developed in your knee, your pelvis, your SI joints, or your lower back. Because you already had degenerative disc disease you know, or or arthritis in your spine, and now you have pain. That's another issue. So, uh, yes, we can give you pain medication for the acute problem. But then we don't know if you're going to have chronic pain from, you know, degeneration of your spine your pelvic joints and stuff like that. Your knee, your hip. We don't know. We'll know after you get rid of the acute problem.
2: Which is is really tough. And you, there are also natural ways. Um, prior to this this broadcast, you and I were talking about some natural supplements that can make a, a really big difference for patients in, with pain and inflammation.
8: Uh, yes, that is true. Um, I personally advise my patients, who are my pain patients that they may want to take omega-3. And, uh, I, you know, I ask them, are you allergic to fish? No. Uh, well, you may want to try omega-3. And the reason being is because it does have some good beneficial effects. On what? Okay. It's it's good for your heart. It's good for your brain. It's good for your kidneys. It's good for your joints. Those are some of the already... Uh, Uh, benefits that are already known and so a lot of my patients don't even know that those are some of the benefits you know so i tell them why don't you start taking some omega-3 and then they'll say well how much do i have to take i go well i mean you can take i recommend you buy omega-3 a thousand milligrams and you can take two to four uh thousand milligrams a day okay
4: You're listening to the Heart of Innovation here on KTRB Studios, 860 AM, The Answer, with Kim McNichols live from the Cliff Conference in El Paso, Texas. We will return after these messages.
2: Medical Notepad, brought to you by Abbott and The Way to My Heart. This week, Dr. Thomas Tu, interventional cardiologist, is talking about blood clots.
7: Do I have a blood clot? What uh, kind of things should I worry about? Uh, I think the signs and symptoms of a blood clot in the leg are somewhat nonspecific. And uh, the good news is the testing is pretty straightforward to, uh, to, to make the diagnosis. If you have... Swelling in one leg and not the other, that's oftentimes a sign. If you have cramping pain, uh, you know, in the hip or behind the knee, uh, along with swelling, that certainly could be a sign. And certainly, you know, kind of a, a, an abrupt discoloration of your leg. I've seen uh, patients who they just look down and their leg turn purple. Uh, yeah, that is uh, something where, uh, uh, you know, seeking uh, medical advice and, and uh, uh, diagnosis could be very useful. Ah, uh, the test for a DVT, a blood clot in the leg, is oftentimes an ultrasound, which is a non-invasive, no-risk kind of procedure, so uh, can be very useful. Uh, blood clot in the lung is more serious, more urgent. You know that oftentimes will show itself through trouble breathing. Uh, people sometimes say they almost passed out, or they feel very dizzy. They get sick all of a sudden, and then notice their heart is beating fast and they can't breathe. If you can't finish a sentence without panting or getting out of breath and that happened all of a sudden uh, that that certainly could be a blood clot to diagnose that in the emergency room it's really um, a cat scan is the modern way to do that uh, it's a special kind of ct scan it's called a ct angiogram of the chest uh, you probably don't need to know that by name the physicians taking care of you can do a history and physical do some simple blood tests and kind of make a decision do you need a, a ct scan to diagnose blood clots or not
2: with this week's medical notepad, that was Dr. Thomas Tu, interventional cardiologist. Remember, the advice and views offered in this series are for informational and educational purposes only. Always talk to your own healthcare team before acting on any advice or information offered here. If you do want more information about blood clots, go to thewaytomyheart.org.
1: Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips.
2: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. We are live in El Paso, Texas at the Cliff Conference. It's a limb salvage conference. I am here and joined by a podiatrist. We have Dr. Gary Grindstaff, and we also have a pain management specialist, Dr. Efren Rivera. And right before the break, Dr. Rivera, we were talking about natural ways in which People can improve um, inflammation in the body and possibly reduce pain. You were talking about omega-3s, and you were just getting ready to get into some of the benefits of the omega-3s and how to choose the right omega-3 for you.
8: Okay, so uh, my understanding and my belief is that omega-3s actually work. They do have a good benefit. However, they're not an acute type of medication. It's not going to change anything in one or two weeks. It's it's ingestion of uh, medication over a period of months that will have a beneficial effect. What's the beneficial effect, doctor? Well, you're going to have less inflammation in the arteries of your body, one. You're going to have uh, joint uh, relief by improving the joint spaces, two. You're going to have uh, the coronary arteries... You're gonna. It's gonna be beneficial for your heart. Your coronary arteries are gonna do better because there's less inflammation in your coronary arteries. Same thing with your kidneys, and same thing with the arteries of your lower extremities. So they're good for a lot of things. And one other thing, they do lower your triglycerides. And so when they lower your triglycerides, usually your cholesterol comes down. So so I've seen it myself where patients uh, are on uh, lipid lowering medication, and I say, look, let's do, let's give it a try. You don't need to be on this because you're all, you're you're getting a lot of muscle pain with these uh, lipid lowering drugs because that's one of the side effects myalgia, muscle pain. So we take them off. We give them high doses of omega, and three months later, they're not having the muscle pain and their cholesterol is is less and their triglycerides are less. So bingo, okay. So that that's a win.
6: So- no, I could I could testify somewhat to that with the statin drugs. I, I've taken tor- muscle pain. I, I've yes. taken a storm of tatin uh, uh, for years. Right. And not only do I have muscle pain at times, you can figure it out. Yeah. You can figure out why you would have muscle pain. Yeah. At first, I, I didn't know why I was getting these cramps. Right. And, and, you know, like people asking my patients used to ask me all the time, doctor, why am I having all these cramps? And I'll ask them if they're on... Uh, cholesterol lowering medication. Sure enough, most of them are. So it's it's not an uncommon effect. Hey, yeah, I know I, I've seen that with
8: my patients. And another medication that uh, is prescribed rampantly across the diabetic population is metformin. Yes, there are people that that take high doses of metformin one thousand uh, twice a day, two thousand twice a day, stuff like that, and they have. I'm their pain doctor, and they're saying, doctor, I'm having pain in my shoulders, I'm pain in my legs, and I go, well, let me, let's, let's see your medications. I look at the medications, they're on metformin, and I say, metformin may be the one that's causing you all the muscle pain, and sure enough, you know, with the cooperation of their family doctors, can you put them on something else, and let's see if, if the muscle pain, they get off the metformin, and within a month or two, they don't have the muscle pains anymore. So, that's another medication that causes, you know, muscle pain.
6: Well, and we've, we see people all the time also that present in our office with er, earlier forms of diabetic neuropathy where they have burning pain in, in, in their feet. And uh, they usually have been taking gabapentin prescribed by their family doctors. Almost all of them will say, but first it helped, but now it's not helping. Okay.
8: So that's, that's very interesting. Uh, diabetic peripheral neuropathy and diabetics. All right. So I have patients like that and I, the, across the board, some will be on gabapentin and they're okay with that. They're, they're on moderate to high doses of gabapentin and they're okay with the peripheral neuropathy type of pain, uh, pins, needles, and some pain, but they're controlled with the gabapentin. And then on the other side, I have people that are on gabapentin and pregabalin, and they're still having the diabetic peripheral neuropathy. It's not spinal pain. It's not, uh, lumbar nerve pain. It's peripheral neuropathy. And so I say, okay, so let's see what we can do. All right. So the first thing I do is let's see, how, let's see what dose you're on. I max them out on their doses. And if they're still having pain, then I say, okay, the FDA two years ago approved a spinal cord stimulator for diabetic peripheral neuropathy. And so that is a suggestion. And so we talk about that and see if they want to go through a trial and have a permanent placement of a spinal cord stimulator for the diabetic peripheral neuropathy. Sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. But at least they, they got that option.
6: And a lot of people don't know that. Yeah, And that's why why I brought this up is that we get patients with severe burning pain, tingling, numbness, mm-hmm. uh, and they don't walk and they usually will have some level of PAD on top of this. And they don't walk because of these uncomfortable sensations. If they're not being managed well with, with gabapentin and, and lyrica, then, you know, doing something like you say of, of talking about putting a, a spinal cord stimulator in there is, is a viable option. Or for some patients.
2: It, there's also a lot of high risks, you know, especially if you for patients with a lot of comorbidities though.
6: Yeah, that, that, that can be true. Uh,
8: but one thing that I, that we didn't talk about was prior to doing that invasive, uh, spinal cord stimulator, there are other medications, uh, that came out, uh, recently where you can apply, uh, a film over the dorsum of the foot and the plantar as- aspect of both feet, so you have like two films: one on one on the top, one on the bottom. And there's a medication called Cutenza. Okay, Cutenza is a medication that is eight percent capsaicin. Okay, chili powder. That? Oh, yes. really? Chili powder. Chili powder is one percent, right? Mm-hmm. With the counter at Walgreens. But this is capsaicin eight percent. Brand name Cutenza. If I try to get that for my patients, and a lot of my patients are Medicare, um, insurance company ain't going to pay for it because it's too high. And the the cost of the medication is very high. But some rarely do they uh, approve it. And then we can apply it to the patient once every three months. And they get pretty good relief, pretty good relief of their pins and needles and pain in their feet. You know, and so that's that's a good medication. The thing is, it's very hard to get because nobody wants to pay for it.
6: Well, that brings us into the whole issue of your uh, Valley Wick here Mm -hmm. of people that need uh, something that is not going to readily be covered by their insurance. Mm -hmm. And they're really they may have exhausted all other options. Mm hmm. And 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 yet they can't afford to to do something simple like putting the capsaicin uh, uh, on there. They can't, and so they just don't. And then the spiral, of downward spiral, continues.
4: You're listening to The Heart of Innovation with Kim McNichols, live from the Cliff Conference in El Paso, Texas. We will return for our final portion after these messages. Don't go anywhere.
1: Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist, Kim McNicholas, and interventional cardiologist, Dr. John Phillips.
2: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show live in El Paso, Texas at the Cliff Conference. It's a limb salvage conference. I'm here with a podiatrist, Dr. Gary Grindstaff, and also a pain management specialist. We have Dr. Efren Rivera, who is here with us. And before the break, we were talking about the fact that there are a lot of insurance companies that may not cover um, you know, some of these options for patients. Um, but I'm, you know, curious, you know, when a patient comes to you and they say, okay, we're going to try this. How often does the patient not come back to you if something doesn't work for them? Or do you even know um, a reason why a patient might not come back? Because we have patients that come to our group. They're like, oh, I've tried this. Oh, I've tried that. My doctor doesn't listen to me. There's nothing they can do. And, you you're none the wiser.
8: Well, um, do we have patients not come back? Very rarely. The problem is that they're in so much pain for whatever reason that they usually go back to their pain doctor because he's the one that has the medications to help them, And he's the one that has the injections, the procedures to help them, And uh, so they, they rarely do not not come back. They usually come back.
2: Only the ones that are in our network don't go back to the
8: pain specialist. So, 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 well, I mean, uh, I I mean, I, 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 I've been lucky here in El Paso, Texas.
2: Well, you're really kind, but you seem like you spent a lot of time to really listen to them, which, you know, before we close out, I want you to tell everybody what are the criteria that people should use to determine if a pain specialist is right for them?
8: Uh, that's a very good question. Um, now I can give you generic answers to that. We like spaghetti. because Good then ones. I don't want to piss off my, you know, my fellow pain management doctors in El Paso, Texas. But anyway, uh, so the answer to your question, uh, just like any other physician, if you go there and you feel the office is a nice place, you'd want to be and in, in, sit and wait for you know thirty minutes to an hour because sometimes that's what it takes. And the staff is treating you nicely and they're not, uh, you know, always in a bad mood or anything like that. One thing, the front staff, the medical receptionist, they intake people. They have to be nice to the patients regardless of what office it is. And so that's one of the things you may want to. And if they're not nice, the patient usually never comes back. OK. And then the doctor, the doctor is so important because he has to sit down and listen to his patient. When I was in med school at Baylor College of Medicine, my professor in uh, a history and physical taking, he says, Ephraim, if you sit down and listen to the patient, 75% of the time, the patient's going to tell you exactly what he has. And it's just like a lot of times in today's modern medical society, doctors don't spend enough time with their patients to listen to what they have to say. So they're just treated like another number. I try not to do that because that's not what I learned in med school many years ago. So I try to sit down and listen to my patient and try to figure out the best approach to uh, their pain. Now, when I finish, I've had a lot a lot of patients say, doctor, nobody ever examined me like that. Doctor, nobody ever took that much time to listen to, to me. And I go, well, that's because I'm an old school doctor. And a lot of doctors don't have time. I have time. I don't
2: You know, that I think is a really good indicator. If you're going to choose a physician who is a pain doctor or any other doctor is that first consult is so important. If they stop and listen and you really feel like they're not only listening, but they're truly hearing you.
8: Uh, That is is correct. If you go in and the doctor spends uh, 10 minutes with you and uh, didn't really listen to you, you don't want to go to that doctor.
2: Are there any other indications that we have about 30 seconds here? Um, any other indications in terms of the options the, the, the pain specialist might have for that patient that would be indicative of whether or not they're the right pain specialist for that patient?
8: Well, I mean, uh, the, uh, the patient has to be comfortable with the demeanor of the doctor. The patient has to feel comfortable that he can trust the doctor. The patient has to feel comfortable that he's in the right place for pain management. And if if the answer to those questions are, no, I don't feel comfortable, I don't trust the doctor, and I don't like this place, then don't go there
2: great advice thank you so much we really appreciate you dr efren rivera he's a pain specialist over here at texas tech in el paso texas and dr gary grindstone thank you so much for joining us here on the show live in el paso texas at the cliff conference thank you, you everyone I hope to you have a the break.
1: heart of innovation with emmy award-winning journalist kim mcnicholas and interventional cardiologist dr john phillips Our mission is to help patients live a better quality of life through comprehensive education, real-time support, and high-touch advocacy in partnership with TheWayToMyHeart.org and Abbott. Our purpose is to reduce the 1.5 million heart attacks and strokes and nearly 200,000 amputations annually. For more information regarding topics you've heard discussed on today's program, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org.